But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Luke chapter 15, verse 17 and 18. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Father, please um, give us ears to hear your word this morning, your gospel. Please um, bless and use my words to be true uh, and useful to that purpose. Amen. This is a very familiar passage, uh, no less wonderful because it's familiar. I just want to unpack a handful of phrases within it. The first is that phrase that catches me most times when I read this, um, when he came to himself. Uh, it was this sort of moment when he came to himself, and the picture that sort of keeps developing in my mind is the frenzy-like quality that sin so often has. Um, I couldn't think of exactly which movie like this reference. I think it's the Hulk, but someone correct me if that's wrong. Where there's this sort of thing of like in a frenzy, you do some sort of destructive act, and then you kind of come back to your regular self, like Jekyll and Hyde, and it's like, oh my gosh, what did I do when I was in that frenzy state? Does the Hulk do that? Is that the Hulk? More or less. Okay, you get the picture. Um, but that idea of like this sort of realization, oh my gosh, what did I just do? What did I just do? That's the moment that the prodigal son has when he came to himself. And it's um, significant that in the parable where it says that it was hardship that precipitated his coming to himself. Right? He runs out of money, and then it says there's this famine. And it seems to be that that's one of the we don't know why, in so many cases of suffering, we don't know particularly why a particular suffering is happening. But it does seem to be the case that the Lord uses suffering, sometimes, as a way to kind of snap out of whatever frenzy we were in before. That a little bit of physical pain or discomfort, it's like, oh yeah, why have I done this? I find for myself that, you know, maybe like once, every, once a year or something, when I get something nasty in my stomach, and it's like, all of a sudden, it comes to mind something I've been not confessing to the Lord. It's amazing how quickly it comes to mind. And it's like, oh, Lord, why have I been just acquiescing to this sin? The Lord can use hardship to help us to come to our senses, to come to ourselves, And even um, sort of unchosen hardship, but part of why the church in her wisdom calls us to even like the tiniest hardships, like just not having chocolate or something in Lent, just a little bit of hardship is something that just slows down that carousel, that kind of frenzied madness of living for the flesh that can we so easily be sucked into. And we're allowed space, we're given space then for honest reassessment. We come to ourselves, and when he comes to himself, he recognizes, how many of my father's hired servants, and the emphasis here is on servant, right? Because he's a son, like in an old sort of homestead back then, like ranking well above a servant, those who would by rank be below him have plenty. And here he is, a son of a, a well-supplied father, and he's destitute. And so there's this sort of parallel that he, and remember in the parable, he sells himself into slavery just to survive, and he's longing for the, the pig slop. And he, he followed his own will, and it ended up in a worser slavery, and he's longing for pig slop. And, but yet servants who didn't follow their own will, but followed the father's will, they had more than enough. I think this gives the lie um, 
every generation sort of invents its own phrase to say the same thing of, you know, you do you, or look out for number one, or, you know, to each his own path. Like just this idea that, oh yeah, we need to go and choose our own path. The Lord would say, look where following your own path can lead. I perish here with hunger is where it led for the prodigal son. And this is revelatory too, and it teaches that sin always results in lack which is the opposite of how it's sort of the mirage it can present itself with, right? There's this, oh, I want that thing over there. And it looks like you're going to be acquiring something, but you're actually, it leads to lack. It may look like it tastes sweet. It may even taste sweet at first, but it does turn to ashes in the mouth. Um, I, lo- I love the men at his place who are in recovery and pe- sinners who know this truth well, are addicts. They know drug addiction just sort of exteriorizes what is true of all sin. It looks like it's going to be good at first, and then it's so destructive. Which is why um, so often when an addict comes to Christ, there's such a sense of a deep knowledge of the gospel. Scripture would have us not learn that lesson the hard way over and over and over again, but would trust God's revealed wisdom, that it's not what it presents itself to be. The apple that the serpent is tempting with is not good. It's a lie. So the servant, not the servant, sorry, the son, I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father. A change of course, because the story begins with him setting out as far away from the father as he can go. The parable seems to make this point to underscore it. It was a very far away country that he went to. So to make that about face is this parable expression of repentance. A change, of course. And it's not sort of a pull-up-your-bootstrap variety like, I'm going to become morally better. It's not just, I'm going to stop this rough life. No, it's, I'm going to run back to the Father. It's repentance in a direction of reconciled relationship. Corresponding in our own day, I think this is... Um, really almost just the smallest and yet most cosmically significant um, sense of prayer that I find when I have chosen sin instead of God's will. It's almost like in my heart, I'm trying to like not make eye contact with God. Like, I can't, like if I just don't look up, right? Like I can kind of just live and maybe I can solve this before it gets worse. And, and running to the Father is not that. Running to the Father is actually just lifting the eyes of the heart up to the Lord and not trying to avoid his watchful gaze and saying, like the son does, I've sinned, I've sinned against heaven and before you, before heaven and against you. Just I'm making that eye contact with God. That, it's as simple as that. And yet it's very hard in the moment. Part of that sort of frenzy, that delusion of sin is, oh no, I can't do that. It's <laughs> exactly what we need to do. And if we do it, and this is the great joy of the parable of the prodigal son, what do we see? That God in Christ runs to us. The embrace of the Father pictured in the parable, right, running out, that embrace is Christ Jesus. That in even, and one of the devotions of the church is recognizing that the mysterious symbolism that in the ordinary Roman form of death, crucifixion, the arms are stretched out like this and it has this sort of embrace-like quality. And so when we picture the sort of parable of the prodigal son in our real lives, this is the father running to us. This is a picture of the father running to us. 
Christ Jesus is the Father's will. He sent the Son to reconcile us to himself, as we heard in 2 Corinthians. Jesus is God's embrace to us. And then after the embrace, every one of those details sort of richly indexes to other truths of the scriptures that we're the son, what's the first thing that happens to him when he's walking back? Put a coat on him, right? clothed, reclothed in the righteousness of Christ. Put a ring on him, not some sort of second class son in the kingdom, but actually sharing the authority of Jesus. That's what it says, that sort of mystery of the scriptures. Don't you know that we will judge angels as well as the rest of the cosmos? And then straight away being invited into a feast, a picture of the heavenly banquet foretasted in the Eucharistic feast. And this is the thing that really struck me about um, the parable hearing it in preparation for this Sunday is how it's bookended by feasting, but of two totally different kinds. Right? And sort of riffing on how God says in Corinthians that there's two different kinds of sorrow, worldly sorrow and, and godly sorrow. There's two different kinds of feasting. There's worldly feasting, right? Which is what the son engaged in initially, carousing, partying, drunkenness. There's worldly feasting, which leads to death. But then there's godly feasting, right? That's, it's a party happening in the father's house, but it's a God-honoring party. It's holy feasting, not debauched feasting. I think that's a really significant parallel or, or juxtaposition because one of the lies the enemy whispers is that the invitation to life in God and rejecting sin is like as if you're saying no to something fun to have something just sort of dry and boring. And yet this parable would say the opposite is the case. Right? That Actually, it's saying no to the outcome that is wallowing with pigs wanting to eat their disgusting food versus being well, a happy and um, joyful feast reconciled to God. So hearing um, this parable, the only question that presents is, what are we waiting for? Let us do the same as the prodigal son. Arise and go to the Father. Arise and be welcomed in to the feast that he has prepared for us in Holy Communion. Amen.